tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. And thank you for downloading and listening to episode 23 of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. At least I presume you're listening because it'd be kind of silly for if you just downloaded it and let it hang out on your iPhone, like some free song from Avril Lavigne that you got only because it was free and you don't really like her singing all that much, but it was popular at the time. Not that I know anything about that. Why you got to go make things so complicated? Uh, Hey, you. uh, Oh, wait, that's something else. I don't want to be uh, – never mind. <laughs> Anyhow, this is a show where we're taking a look at all of the books that feature stories dealing with the characters for the Tangent Universe, a parallel world where heroes with familiar names and, ver- and have very different origins. And today, we're con- and today we're continuing our look at the 2008 series Tangent Superman's Reign, this time with issue four where more of the characters from the main DCU show up to help out the Tangent heroes. But before I go any further, let me introduce myself. My name is Sean Eagle, and with me always as my partner in podcastery, Mr. Michael Bradley. Hey, Michael. We all just want to be big rock stars, live in hilltop uh, houses, driving fifteen cars. Uh, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna bring that up every time I play one, <laughs> one Madonna song, and then it gets into Nickelback shaming, and yo, know, can't we all just, just let it? Can't we all just let it go? Nickelback shaming is that redundant? Uh, well, I guess if you are heavily into Nickelback, you probably have absolutely no shame. So there oh, you go. Good point. Good point. Anyway, um, hi everybody. <laughs> so, so after after we finish the Tangent Universe podcast, are we going to start a Nickelback podcast about praising all the uh, wonderful songs? It should be a short podcast show, I would think. I would be happy to do a Nickelback podcast about the songs I enjoy. <laughs> it would be the shortest podcast ever. So it would be essentially none. Okay, right. there you go. We're starting and we're done. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> well, uh, luckily we don't have anything to say about Nickelback, but we do have a little thing to say about emails, uh, specifically one we got in from our good friend and uh, frequent writer to the show, Gene Hendricks. Uh, Gene Hendricks wrote into the show about Superman's reign number one, and he writes in saying, Michael and Sean, I agree with both of you. This doesn't seem decompressed at all, which is odd for this era of comics. While I'm not a huge fan of the dystopian future stuff, it does make sense with the way that Superman was portrayed in Tangent. At least, that's the way I look at it. It is going to be nice seeing these characters in a continuous, multi-issue story for once. 
He said the backup feature is nice because, as Michael said, there's a lot of stuff that people who didn't read the Tangent books would need to know, and there's no way that it could fit into the main story. Plus, it allows for the connections to be made that weren't explicitly stated in the Tangent stories themselves. Gene. And of course, Gene works at Two True Freaks doing the Hammer Strikes podcast, the Quantum Cast, Anime Freaks, and he also does the brand new uh, comic book Fight Club with his friend uh, Jeff Fishman over there. So check those shows out if you're interested. Uh, do you have anything to say on the uh, email? Um, I like it when people say I'm right, <laughs> which Gene did. Well, and uh, you know, it should it should occur far more frequently, I would think. Uh, I don't know about that. Okay, but yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think the balance of having the story and the backup story actually helps. Uh, mm-hmm. We commented on the previous episode that it wouldn't work together if they're trying to fit all the elements of the backup story into the story. It would just slow it down. It so, yeah. I think it works. I think it works out really well. So, I, I have no problems with them. Yep. But uh, Gene, thanks for writing in. Um, uh, we mentioned uh, last time out. That the convergence story was. Did Actually, you have anything else? Let's, let's go back to Gene's email for a minute. He he mentions that it's nice to to see the characters in a continuous multi issue story for once, and I think that's one thing we really haven't hit on too much in the first three issues. And is that you know for the first time we're seeing a continuing story with these characters rather you know, than just the the one issue. You know, you're right, and that's one of the things that we really sort of. You know, commented on uh, throughout a lot of the throughout a lot of the run uh-huh. of the tangent books, how much we'd like to see these characters in an ongoing story, and essentially with the Superman's Reign book, we're getting them. You know, it's it's not specifically like one character, like the Flash or Batman or the Metal Man or right. the Atom, in, in an ongoing story. It's all of the characters, but at least it's an ongoing progressive progressive story. So I uh, I. I I didn't even think about that, but the, he makes a good point there. Yeah, we're finally getting what we kind of railed up against or railed for in the uh, first run of the yep. Tangent books. But yeah, Gene, thank you for writing in, and thank you for uh, giving us some things to discuss. Good points there. Did you want to go ahead and talk a little about Convergence? Yeah, go ahead. Like, why don't you kind of take the lead on that, because I haven't read the books yet, so... Okay, well, as the time at the time of the release of this, I'm thinking convergence might be close to winding down. I know it was only supposed to be two months during April and May, and uh, as of the time of this recording, I've uh, picked up the convergence books uh, up to I think it's issue four. It had a zero issue that was written by Dan Jurgens, and the convergence books themselves, the specific ones, have dealt primarily with the Earth two. Uh, sort of Justice Society, I guess, characters. You know, Green Lantern. From the uh, new 52. Yes, from the new okay. 52. So you've got the new 52 Green Lantern, uh, Flash, the new 52 Superman, the new 52 Batman, who is Thomas Wayne. Um, is that you've actually got, the Thomas Wayne? It's the Thomas Wayne. Supposedly on Earth 2, it was Bruce who was killed, and that made Thomas Wayne turn into the Batman. Huh. Yeah. Okay. There you go. See, I, I was uh, and the, the the convergence books specifically. I'm enjoying, <laughs> but it, because I have no connection with the Earth two characters in the New Fifty Two, it's it's hard for me to kind of get behind them. You know, I don't know the motivations of these characters, and it's not. 
they're kind of trying to do a crisis on infinite earths type story but unfortunately since it's not wolfman and perez it doesn't if for a new for a new reader or her, for a reader who's not completely knowledgeable about the characters going on it's a bit of a difficult read so who, the convert who is writing the main convergence series? let me see uh, the main convergence book is written by it's got the notes on the front all right is it the back of the book <laughs> is, it, is there is there a name on the cover yeah it's king i don't know stephen king no not stephen king no jeff king is the writer oh. and stephen segovia is the penciler okay uh, I'm and not familiar with jeff king Neither am I. Uh, the like I said, the first book was written by Dan Jurgens, or at least the zero issue was written by Dan Jurgens, and that's specifically centered on uh, the New Fifty Two Superman trying to deal with Brainiac, who was bringing all these various different worlds from different universes to this one planet where he's going to pit heroes from these universes against each other. Okay, and that's basically what the Convergence story is. It's all these universes, heroes fighting its other ones, and Brainiac's going to choose whoever survives these fights to be the one perfect universe. Hmm. So there you go. It's kind of a crisis type tale. Apparently, Jeff King has no credits on Mike's Amazing World, and apparently, I, I found his Wikipedia entry, which is four lines long, and he is a television writer. Hmm. So there you go. All right. Well then. There, there you have it. A um, maybe not an un, untested writer, but you know it. Like I said, the convergence issue, the convergence main story, I'm okay with, but it's nothing really to say. Yes, go out and get it. Hmm. Now, however, the the separate issues that I've read, specifically the ones I picked up, are the tangent ones, which is uh, Justice League of America, the Fl- convergence, the Flash, and convergence. Uh, the new Teen Titans. I've only picked up the first issue of them. They're they're both two part issues, but all of them I think have been just really good. Uh, the Je- the Justice League uh, of America issue focuses on the Detroit Justice League with uh, Martian Manhunter, Elongated Man, Aquaman, Gypsy, Vibe, and Commander Steel. And essentially, the idea in all of the books is it's the cities have been taken from whatever universe and put on this one planet and they've lived underneath this dome. Well, after a year, they're starting the whole thing of the heroes are going to start fighting. Now for the whole year, all these characters didn't have their powers and now suddenly they have them back. And, um, Specifically in the Just League book, the Just League at the, uh, the, the Just League at the end fight against the Secret Six no spoilers what's going on but it is the it is the classic secret six of the tangent universe of the atom manhunter uh joker plastic man uh who else am i forgetting specter did i miss someone uh it's the secret six okay and uh i think both both teams are written very well in the justice league book it's narrated by sue dibney and it's great. First of all, it's great to see Ralph and Sue back in comics because I know a lot of people have negative feelings about 
the way things went down in identity crisis. So it's kind of nice to see them back as a loving couple in the, uh, even if it's going to be for the short time in the book. So that was really fun. Uh, the other one is the, the next one will come out is the convergence of the flash, which is essentially just, uh, about Barry Allen not being able to use the speed, tap into the speed force or be a speedster for the entire bent of the issue and what he's been doing underneath this dome city. But by the end of it, they do the fight thing, and he has to end up uh, fighting with someone. Unfortunately, who he's supposed to be pitted against is the Tangent Universe Superman, who also, for all this time, hasn't had any powers and now is just coming back to him. So that looks like it might be kind of a kind of a difficult mashup. Very lopsided, yeah. Yeah, it does seem kind of lopsided. Um, but then the one that I really enjoyed the most was uh, the Marv Wolfman-penned um, uh, New Teen Titans. And it definitely deals with the 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 classic you know, Wolfman-Perez Teen Titans era with uh, Nightwing and Starfire and Cyborg. I think Raven's in there as well. Um, but it's, it's, uh, I know Gar Logan is in there, Changeling, and they have to come across against the Doom Patrol. And Wolfman does a really spectacular job of writing both the Teen Titans characters in that classic sort of feel. He gets down those characters well, but he gets the Doom Patrol well. And the thing that's nice when I first read the solicit for this was I thought, okay, they were going to portray the Doom Patrol as the bads while the Teen Titans were the good guys. It's not the case. Oh, good. They're, they're, they're having to be adversaries, but neither of them really want to face off against each other. And at the end, there's... I, I'm not going to spoil it, but at the end, there's a nice little thing where they're trying to work out something between the teams so they don't have to fight. And it's, uh, you know, I think it's really well written. So the the little individual stories of of the Convergence line, the little offshoot things have been really interesting while the main Convergence issues have been just kind of there, sadly. But if, if you're a Tangent fan, I, I think you'd actually enjoy picking up uh, Convergence Flash, Convergence uh, Justice League of America, and Convergence um, the New Teen Titans. So I, I, I would recommend them. I'm the... The second issues haven't come out yet, but probably when they come out, I'll talk about them on uh, another episode. But uh, I've been impressed with them so far. Well, good. In the Justice League book, how have the the Secret Six been portrayed? Are, are they being presented as uh, villainous characters compared to the Justice League, or are mm-hmm. they both being presented as, as heroic I think they're like both with the Teen Titans issue. I, I think they're both being there. There's a bit of difference because at the end, you know, at the end of the Teen Titans book, you see that there's some members from both teams trying to work together to resolve things. Okay. In in the Justice League book, there's it's just more of a okay, this side is here, this side's here, fight. Okay. Um, there's okay. no real there. There's not as much characterization or as much uh, character interaction but the Secret Six aren't necessarily portrayed as the bad guys um, it's just I think it's better portrayed in in the uh, New Teen Titans book than it is in the Justice League book hmm. All right. but, but so far like I said the, the books have been entertaining and I've actually quite enjoyed all three of the Convergence individual titles so if, like I said, if you are a fan of the Tangent books, I think they've 
they've uh, taken the characters and done well with them. So I have uh, really no complaints. One more question, and maybe we don't want to spoil anything for anybody who, who might want to pick them up, but ha- did they explain in the new Teen Titans issue how the Doom Patrol is still alive? No. Um, they wasn't touched on? Okay. No, they, they did not really explain you know how that they got back, uh, specifically that we know that at the end of the Nightwing Night Force, they were pulled into the sort of matrix of the ultra-humanite. Right. And you know I can only assume... Well, I can only hope that later on in the book, maybe in one of the history lessons, we'll get the reasoning why the the Ultra Humanite was defeated and whether that released the Doom Patrol and all that. And I'll probably have a little nitpick in the book we're covering today about one of the characters that shows up that was also supposed to be uh, assimilated into the Ultra Humanite. So, oh, interesting. But, but um, uh, because be- comics, yes, because comics just. <laughs> Go with that. You'll you'll never be dissatisfied with an explanation ever. Right. Well, speaking of the issue we're going to cover, you ready to get into that? Yep, let's do it. All right. Well, we're looking at Tangent, Superman's Reign number 4, which has a cover date of June 2008 and was released April 16th, 2008 uh, for a cover price of two ninety nine. Our cover artist, we got a new cover artist this time. Matt Haley and Tom Simmons. Yay! Yay! And, and they were the art... Some of you might remember they were the art team on the very first issue, the very first Joker issue. Mm-hmm. So it's good to see. We'll get into the cover later, but the, the Joker is pretty prominent on the cover. Uh, but the first story is Tangent, Superman's Reign, Chapter 4. Credits are Dan Jurgens Writer, Jamal Eigel Pencils, Robin Riggs Inks, Steve Wands Letters, Dom Reagan Colors, Nachi Castro Editor, and the Tangent Universe was created by Dan Jurgens. At JLA headquarters, Batman and Green Lantern Hal Jordan work under the advisement of Dr. Will Magnus to construct a device that will allow them to use Hal's ring to contact the Tangent Earth. In a graveyard on Earth-9, the Tangent Green Lantern senses Hal's ring, but dismisses it as the two Flashes, the Spectre, Manhunter, and Pooch arrive with the recovered Atom in tow. Things start to get heated as Wally says freeing the Atom might have cost him a good friend. Leah assures him that once Adam is back to full power, they'll be able to take down the Superman and rescue John. Her encouraging words are short-lived, however, as she is confronted by Manhunter, demanding to know where she's been for the past few months. Leah explains that she's been trapped on another Earth following the Infinite Crisis, and Tangent Green Lantern confirms her story. Manhunter walks off, saying she was just being cautious, as the Superman has been trying to infiltrate their group. And that's foreshadowing, kids. (laughs) Leah talks to the Atom, who can't remember much about being captured, while Spectre asks what's next, and Wally says going after John is the only option. In the sewers beneath New Atlantis, Hex rejects Lori Lamaris' protest that she's reformed. He introduces her to his robotic BFF Nightshade, and explains how he used to work with Nightwing, but now he's fighting the good fight on his own. He acknowledges that there's not much he can do on his own, though, and says that's why Lori is going to help him, something he's sure of because she's already committed a crime just by talking to him. Meanwhile, at the Superman's compound in Switzerland, the Superman has released John from the TK field, but John is unable to fight due to Superman blocking his ability to use his ring. The two argue about motivations, with Superman feeling he truly is acting in the best interests of the people, but John seeing nothing but a despot. The Superman then senses Hal trying to make contact with John's ring, aided in part by the tangent Green Lantern's lantern, 
and asks aloud if he should let that happen. Tangent Green Lantern takes things into her own hands, however, teleporting Batman, Black Lightning, Black Canary, and Hal into the Earth-9 graveyard. Superman seems to know of their arrival as soon as it happens, and reveals to John his secret. Adam Thompson, a.k.a. the Adam, is unconscious and locked in a vault, while the Adam with the heroes is actually one of the Superman's operatives who has led the tyrant right to the Rebellion's doorstep. Back at the graveyard, the heroes remark on the Adam's emaciated appearance, and the phony Adam reveals the simple answer, dropping the hologram tech disguise and attacking the heroes as... Power Girl. Yeah! Yay! Such a good cliffhanger. Oh, yes, this is... The best cliffhanger we've had so far. I agree. I was... You know... uh, When we first saw the Atom in the first book of this, and we saw him all emaciated, hooked up to all those things, I was holy cow, Mm -hmm. what has he done? And that was all a ruse, and we see that, and we get this reveal of Power Girl at the end of it. It is just a great, great cliffhanger ending. Um, She's obviously... Go ahead. The the emaciated appearance of the Atom, though, it, it made a lot of sense, and we really didn't question about why is he... I mean, we questioned why he's emaciated, but it made sense because his powers had been drained. Mm-hmm. And he was hooked up to all the technology and stuff, so we had just assumed that they were draining his life energy or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So it, it made a lot of sense, and we really didn't question it beyond... We, we didn't question it for storytelling reasons, I guess is the way I'm trying to say that. Yeah, we didn't we didn't think, oh, this is a secret operative or this is someone right. portray, trying to portray the Atom. We thought, man, the Atom's in bad shape. They need to get him out of there before he he's you know drained of all of his power and dies. Mm-hmm. But we we get not only the reveal that Superman has the Atom chained up and the Atom looks, you know, restrained, but he looks physically well. And then we get the reveal of this emaciated Atom that's with the uh, the members of the Secret Six with Green Lantern and all the DC Universe characters, and it's secretly Power Girl, you know, covered up by some hollow projection. And that's really that's that's just a great, great cliffhanger ending. Yeah, I mean, not only is Power Girl right in the Rebellion's safe place, basically, and and we saw Power Girl as really powerful on her own. I mean, she brought a guy back from the dead, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. But but now she has... The Superman, who is this, probably the second most powerful character in this universe, she has basically led him right to their doorstep, too. So that just leaves the rebellion... I keep calling them the rebellion, but you know, the, the Secret Six in a, a world of hurt at this point. Exactly. Yeah, it's... Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say... I to move on a little bit, I, I, I still appreciate that each issue is advancing the story some. And, you know, we're not taking huge leaps forward, but it it, it feels like, especially for a book from 2008, that we are still getting a satisfying chunk with each issue, which mm-hmm. I think is even more impressive. And I, we haven't really mentioned this too much, but these stories are only 17 pages rather than the standard 22 because the backup has taken five of those pages. Yep. So it's just even more impressive that we're feeling like we're getting a satisfying story even though it's shorter yes well and uh, you know uh, i give that credit to jan jurgens he knows how to plot things out well he knows how to write a good story and he knows how to spread it out in in accessible chunks to to not only it's the perfect blending of allowing the story to breathe but not making it 
feel like you're not getting a substantial amount of story in the book that you're getting, the individual book. Mm-hmm. But uh, if uh, we don't have any more comments, general comments, I say we take a break, and yes. then after that we come back and talk about the book as a whole. Yes, I'm very excited to get into the page-by-page. Page, so. Cool. It started as an idea, a flicker. Now with a simple voice email to the Superman and the Bronze Age podcast, that flicker has become a flame. Now, Russell, you're ready to start a podcast. Yep, you're ready to go. Yes, start it, and then and then we can email you. Whoa! And Russell has been, you know, the most consistent emailer. I think it's time that he does start a show. DC Comics presents. You know, after Dave's done, and I mean, you're not covering every, every issue, so he could do all of them. I would highly recommend that, actually. That would be awesome. So there you go, Russell. Go for it. I can't wait to hear his reaction to this. this (laughs) Well, boys, here's your response. The DC Comics Presents show, hosted by me, Russell Bragg. On each episode, I will cover one issue of DC Comics Presents in publishing order until I reach the end of the series. I will also be covering all four annuals. Plus, I will be doing a character spotlight on each of Superman's guest stars, and I'll be going to the spinner rack to see what other comic books were available. Join me each episode of... The DC Comics Presents Show. Please go to the show's website at www.dccpshow.com for more information. That's DCCPSHOW. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Ready to start taking a look to cover, and yes, yes, <laughs> yes, I am excited about this cover. That Matt Haley and Tom Simmons, who you mentioned before, did the cover for the original Joker book, which I thought was some of. I thought all of the art, or a lot of the art, during the first run of the Tangent books was great, but I just completely marveled about the artwork that Simmons and Haley did for the Joker book, and they bring it here on this cover. The Joker looks 
spectacular. Yes. I, I, I love her pose. It looks realistic. It looks dynamic. And she doesn't look out of proportion. It It's, it's amazing. I yes. love that. It was really good to see them draw the Joker again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think... This is going to sound like a knock against the cover, but it's really not because it's, it's really more praising the other ones. But I think this is my least favorite of the series so far. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It just speaks to the strength of the others compared to this one. I can I can agree with that. I just noticed this. I was looking at the cover. The Joker in her left hand has a uh, little notepad and a pencil. Yes. And the, the autograph it's, it's autographs. Yes. And she's swinging over Batman <laughs> as, as like she's going to get the Batman's autograph, yes. which I think is hilarious. Now, now, Batman himself, he, he looks like Batman. Oh, yeah. You know, it... it and again, it, that stupid logo is covering up the character, mm-hmm. which bothers me, but... You know, I, I guess they could have put it at the top, but... Uh, well, the, they're going with the trade dress where it's at the bottom, so... Yeah, so it it does it does kind of obscure Batman. I think it'd be... Uh, you know, it does. It does. Yeah, it blocks out a lot of. It. I think you get you lose a bit of the design of the sort of gray of Batman's chest. All you're seeing is the blackness of his cowl, and of course that big billowy scallop <laughs> again. But you Drop know, the cape, fold the arms. Yes, Drop the cape, fold the arms. <laughs> uh, if if Ben Affleck doesn't do that in the Batman versus Superman movie, I'm going to be so disappointed. I will call Zack Snyder as soon as we're done. Okay, we'll we'll make sure that he goes and refilms that. Um, moving into the book, page one. This is where, this is where obviously again Dom Reagan and the coloring takes a big, you know, you know, basically does a big uh, chunk of the work here, especially with the Green Lantern constructs. Ever since they got the computer coloring down, the Green Lantern constructs have always looked. I don't want to say spectacular, but it would just look more unique. Mm-hmm. They, well, they they, ha- they can make them look more bright and and with the more like light, really, or energy. Yes. Exactly, and they do they do a great job here. I I do like uh, here on page two that Batman is communicating with uh, um, J.R. Bob Dobbs of the uh, Church of the uh, Subgenius. Oh wait, no, that's uh, Doctor <laughs> Well Magnus. You know. Yeah. Do you, do you know about the uh, Church of the Subgenius? Have you I, ever heard about that? I don't. Don't should I? No, it's it's one of these sort Is this of something wack- I shouldn't Google. No, it's nothing. It's nothing bad. It's just one of these weird sort of hipster uh, quote unquote oh. religious cults thing. Okay. And yes. his his look is one of those sort of clip art type looks of a typical nineteen fifties. Uh, fatherly character with the pipe and everything, and I thought, I thought the image there looked just like uh, J.R. Bob Dobbs. I, I just googled Bob Dobbs. Yeah, it does. You're absolutely right. So, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I like the the artwork here on the page, especially the coloring. Really sells the the sort of interesting look of Hal's constructs and everything. Mm-hmm. They're really using the Kirby Crackle too. Oh yeah, they're definitely yeah. The background of all of Hal's Hal's. Uh, energy constructs have that Kirby crackle just flowing off it. That's nice. It's a nice homage. You're the Green Lantern guy between us, so help me understand something, though. Hal is creating something with his ring to amplify his ring. How does that work, exactly? Uh, Comics? (laughs) You know, 
<sighs> I guess it could be. I guess it could be explained. I'm not as knowledgeable about this. Is post the John, or this is during the Johns era of Green Lantern, where Johns is writing Green Lantern. So the idea of the ring being in touch with the central power battery and being sort of a being able to download information from the power battery. I guess what you might be able to no prize it at is how's using his ring to connect more fully to the central power battery to get more information to do something correct. I mean, that would be, he, he, he's tapping into the central power battery to get his ring to work more efficiently. Okay. That would be my no prize explanation, but you know, and plus he's also working with, uh, like I said, with uh, Will Magnus to focus it. Maybe Magnus has a better idea of how to transport information or, or transfer information across it, dimensions or whatever. Okay. Or you could just go with comics. And, I like the comics explanation, I think. There you go. <laughs> uh, over to page four and five. Do you have anything on three? No. Page four and five is where I've got my notes. All right. I loved every bit of this dialogue between... Flash and Leah and, and Leah and the Manhunter. Dan Jurgens he just captures all their personalities, especially Leah and Manhunter, in what really isn't a whole lot of text. And again, you know, I feel like we say this every or every episode, but the, the artwork from Jamal and Igel and the, the facial expressions and the body language just really adds to it. And I, again, I'm failing to come up with words to say enough about enough good about it. Yeah, we you know it seems like we sound like a broken record on this, but it's absolutely true. Jamal Igel and Dan Jurgens do a fantastic job. Igel with the with the character design and the way they hold themselves and the facial expressions, just portraying, especially on page four with Leah just being so overjoyed to mm-hmm. see Adam back, and then Manhunter. Even though you can't see her face, but the way she holds herself is a sort of you know I don't trust this. You know, where were you? And and Jurgen's selling the drama that there's possibly someone trying to infiltrate the Secret Six group, and they don't know who it is or who it could have been. And the Manhunters being sort of the Tangent Universe version of the Batman of being sort of uncertain of her teammates. But yeah, it's it's all great. And I'm looking on page page five here. You know, the sort of. Uh, frustrated look in that third panel of Leah, you know, with her arms put down. It's it's just sticking her tongue out. Yeah, yeah. I I go does a great job. Uh, another thing on that page, uh, I guess it's panel two to five, where we see the Adam with the thing still on his forehead. Yes. The uh, I like the fact, and I don't know whether this might just be colorization or whether I go actually drew it this way, or whether it's the inker of uh, not Dom Reagan, but whoever the inker was. Robin Riggs. Robin Riggs, yeah. His left eye's pupil is a bit wider than his right eye. And that's usually the sign of, you know, uh, that's the shoot, it's the sign of possible injury, uh, oh. possible, you know, uh, the, uh, medically, if your pupils, one of your pupils is dilated and the other one isn't, that could be the sign of brain injury or something like that. So hmm. it's it's a subtle little thing. It could also be something deceptive is going on with them. And I don't know specifically if this was intentionally put in there or whether it's just a a coloring mistake or an inking mistake. But if it is intentionally put in there, it's very clever. And uh, it's a nice little 
hint that something might be wrong with the atom, whether it be physically or whether it be he's hiding something, which we find out at the end of the book. Right. That's a good catch. Um, next page, page five. I'm I'm watching Hex and Lori walking through the sewers, and I'm wondering why in the heck are they walking through the murky, filthy, <laughs> boggy water when just feet to the left of them there's <laughs> a, a completely dry path where they're not having to slog through mm-hmm. the sewage waters. Why? I mean, I understand for dramatic effect and everything, but uh, you know. Shoes are hard to come by in the Tangent universe. Don't don't waste them by walking through muck-filled waters. Ugh. That's a very mm. you know. It's I, I think it's I think it's a drama thing. You know, uh, if this were if this were a actual like TV show or a movie, hearing them slosh through the water and everything would kind of give the kind of dirty, grungy feel of it. But in reality, I don't want to get my feet all covered with sewer water right. hmm. so but just a nitpick yeah um there's not a lot of really advancement with the hex and, and Lori subplot but we we do learn here that that hex is working, working solo now and nightshade is apparently in operation mm-hmm. um, so what happened to nightwing and the rest of night force and you know black orchid and the rest and i i really hope we get an answer to that exactly so, well we we knew that uh Along with uh, with with the Black Orchid and uh, Black Lightning, not yeah, Black Lightning. Is that who uh, Powell was? Or yes, okay, yeah, but yeah. Uh, oh, was it Black Lightning? God, we were so bad at this. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, Francis Powell. Yeah, but uh, the the characters who are brought into in the Nightwing Night Force uh, story, well, he, he, he died, he, didn't he? But he what, he died. He was drawn into the Matrix with the Ultra Humanite, along with the Doom Patrol and the rest of the uh, the rest of the mem- members of uh, the Nightwing Night Force, didn't he? Well, Am yeah, I remembering but, yeah, it right? Black Orchid was still alive at the end of that issue. Okay, and uh, but Jade did, was still alive. Obsidian had been sucked into it, but he's yeah. apparently alive again somehow. And I thought uh, the thing I was commenting on earlier was I thought Nightshade had also been drawn into the uh, – because I remember Hex sort of voting about the fact at the end of uh, Nightwing Night Forest that he had lost his familiar in Nightshade. Oh. Now, it's been a long time since – you know, it's <laughs> – well, it's been a long time. We say it's been a couple of months since we read those. But, right. But I, I could have sworn that Nightshade was brought into the Matrix as well. So I just grabbed the issue. Um, at the end of that issue, they're in the they're in a graveyard cemetery somewhere. Looks like we've got Black Orchid and Hex and Jade and one of the members of Doom Patrol, um, the mother. I can't think of her uh, name right now. Day. Oh yes, but I don't yeah. see I don't see the little Skeets guy. What's his okay. name? Nightshade. Nightshade. Yeah. So I don't see him. Yeah, so I, I, right. I, I I thought there was something about him being sucked into the sort of you know ultra humanite matrix or whatever you'd call it that they were that the that vampire stalin was developing there yeah oh, he says yeah here we go why it's all screwed anyway nightshade is fried obsidian is shattered gravedigger and wildcat are gone we're yeah, all Grave dead Digger. yeah that's that's who i was thinking why did i think his name was blacklight no because because another one of the members of the team was no i don't know it's anyway been, yeah yeah um but he's a Nightshade's a robot, so maybe they just reprogrammed him. 
That could be it. Yeah. I'm there okay you go. With that. Comics. Um, I I am curious though why Hex doesn't seem to be at all concerned about being overheard by the Superman. D- does the surveillance not extend underground? Is that why they're in the the sewer? Or yeah, I would I would say you know maybe the maybe like all supervillains, you know, well not saying the Superman is a supervillain, but all sort of overlords, they they tend to not want to put their monitoring systems down in the sewers because who would who would go walking around through the muck in the sewers? No one. Maybe well, that's why they're walking through the sewer water because that blocks the Ah, uh, that that blocks the transmissions of yeah. what the, maybe the sloshing around through <laughs> all the uh residual waste from New Atlantis uh there you, you go. Know, knocks out their voices. There you go. Okay. Let that be a tip to all you listeners. If you don't want to be overheard by the evil uh tyrant ruling your land, just go Splash around in the sewer for a while. <laughs> uh, the advice you get from comic book podcasts. Um, uh, the next page, I guess page six. Oh wait, no, page seven. No, eight. no, it's not. That's page eight. Are yes, I'm sorry. The, are you getting? Into yeah, I'm the, getting to the Superman portion of the book. Yes, that'd be page. Yeah, page eight. Yeah, to be page eight. I'm, like I said, unfortunately, these aren't numbered, so I have to go sort of by my nose. Um, I find it interesting that Superman's base is in Switzerland, uh-huh. and that's an area that's known essentially for its neutrality, but also for its uh, corruption. Uh, mm-hmm. Switzerland is one of these countries where, Very like, oh, we're going we're gonna to stay out of the war, but if we can take some Nazi money, we'll do that, okay? You can sell <laughs> us some, some, some things that you've taken from people illegally. We'll, we'll put that in our bank for you, sure. But uh, and then and then after that, in the next pages, we get uh, we get some dialogue with Superman. And like I commented on, uh, I think a couple of issues ago, this Superman is kind of what would have happened if the Golden Age Siegel and Schuster Superman had something negative happen to him and just got amped up to eleven because he's essentially spouting a lot of the ideals the sort of crusader for social justice Superman yes. would have. But it's all just if if it, if that all worked out in a negative way. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, clearly the Superman is the bad guy here. But you can see that at least in his own mind, he's doing what he thinks is right. He's not he's not like the power mad dictator. But just from these pages, you can you, you get the idea that he honestly believes that this is the best way to. Not maybe serve the people, but bring about peace. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the sign of a good storyteller, and that's the sign of a good story where you can even know you know that this person is supposed to be the antagonist in the story. Mm-hmm. You can have some amount of relatability to him. You can see that you know in in some way he's trying to do something right. He's trying to bring peace to the planet he's trying to stop wars he's trying to allow people to live in harmony he's trying to allow people to live a comfortable life but you once you get below the surface what cost is that coming at yes and 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 again that's the sign of a great storyteller that you can empathize with the villain and not just say oh well he's trying to do bad things because he's bad right uh, and I, I give credit to Jan Jurgens to be able to make us feel for for the villain, quote unquote, in this piece. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I feel bad that I kind of glossed over... I didn't gloss over it, but I, I, I skimmed through this really quickly in my synopsis. Um, because he makes... I don't want to say good points, but... You know, he, he talks about how... Um, poverty and racial inequality and environmental degradation and, and the misallocation of world's resources are considered wrong, I presume. And, and he's right. You know, a place without all those things and, and where everyone has food and clothes and shelter sounds like a great world, and ultimately that is what all the heroes are fighting for. But like you said, it raises the interesting question of, on the tangent Earth, at what price did that come? Mm-hmm. So, it, it really is... These pages are really the most interesting part of the issue, this, this uh, discussion between John and uh, Superman. Yeah, well, and, and, and of course, you, you make a perfect point that this is what the the heroes want to see on both of their Earths. It's just how did the Superman of the Tangent Earth come across doing that? How did he achieve that? Uh, you see that in in the regular Earth One, the heroes kind of leave that decision up to the people of Earth and are only there as sort of you know the people who will mop up and save them when the big the big bads come to try and destroy them. In the tangent Earth, you see Superman's trying to direct the humans in a certain way, that he's being sort of manipulative of them, I right. guess. Uh, let's see. My next note's not until uh, the Earth-1 characters come into the graveyard. Uh, yes. Yeah, go ahead okay. with that. Okay. My note is, again... It's sadly about the Batman and the scallop cape. And why, you know, as they were being teleported there, did everyone decide to get into a dramatic pose? <laughs> I mean, Batman's leaping into the air with his arms out and Black Canary's down and crouched down with her hand out about ready to give some sort of dramatic, you know, punch to the groin of someone. You know, Hal, of course, is just Hal. But, uh, it, you know, it's, again, I'm just commenting on the silly look at the Batman cape. Otherwise, Eagle's uh, heart's fine, but yeah, the cape. Eh. What kind of notes did you have? Um, I, a nitpick, I guess. It, in the second issue, I think it was the Tangent Green Lantern said she couldn't send Wally and John home, but how, so how was she able to bring these four to her world if she couldn't send how? You know, sorry, uh, John and Wally back. I'm. My only assumption would be something with the uh, ring construct device that Hal is doing to try and scan for for John and Wally yeah. is sort of amplifying the power that's allowing the Green Lantern from the Tangent Universe to draw these characters into their universe. That that would be my only thing, that the two powers working together allowed them to cross the interdimensional barriers. Of course, again, it could, could all be comics, but yeah. just – that would be my no prize explanation. Okay. Uh, let's see. After that, I've got uh, page fifteen. We get the reveal mm. that that Superman has the atom in his own little TK force field thing strung up, and of course, the atom he looks fine. He looks he looks fit. He's got he's got six pack abs, and <laughs> he's good to go. Yeah. Which which lead, leads you to believe who is this Adam at the end of the book? 
which leads us to the reveal. Now, did you have anything prior to that? Well, I I got to this page where we see the Adam in the vault, and I got I thought, okay, this is bad. And then I got really anxious and excited to know who the other Adam was, and I thought that this was the cliffhanger. But then I turned the page and realized I got three more pages of story. So mm-hmm. that just you know, excitement upon excitement, really. Yes, I, I will have a little, a little, not really nitpick, but a little thing that I noticed, which I thought was kind of cool. And it's, and it's just a sort of subtle thing on page, I guess maybe fifteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see uh, the Batman and Black Canary and Black Lightning and everyone meeting with the people and talking. As Black Canary goes to check out the Atom, you see her pull her hair back into a ponytail, and it, it's just a simple little thing that. I don't think you'd really notice, but I think it's kind of neat that Eigel draws these these naturalistic things that characters would do. That's a good point. When when they're in you know situations where they don't need to be overly dramatic, and it's a very and it's probably also because I'm surrounded by females at my house. <laughs> I am the only person with testosterone in the house, and I have to deal with females twenty four seven. So I have. You know, women putting their hair in ponytails like this whenever they don't need to, you know, have it down for some reason. So I thought it was just a nice sort of aesthetic design thing that a black canary does when she's going to check out the atom. Mm-hmm. When I saw that, I, I saw I thought she was just stretching or gesturing or something, mm-hmm. and didn't really catch on to the fact that she was pulling her hair back. But you're absolutely right. That's what that's what she's doing, and that is a very good, uh, just a very natural moment, I guess. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have to be. It's not there for storytelling reasons, but it, it does add a, a, a little character. Yeah, and, and it's just a simple artistic design that that Eigel can put in that you would think you know would would, would allow her to sort of humanize her character, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then we get uh, the reveal on page seventeen, and <laughs> wow, things just got really, really real. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Power Girl has obviously changed her design, her yes. you know, which is which is fine. Characters can do that. I actually, because uh, Jadine had talked about uh, looking up images or looking up, uh, uh, she had a knowledge of uh, language. I tried to look up the uh, symbol here uh, that's on Power Girl's chest, and it's not exactly like the symbol for power but it's pretty similar to the chinese symbol for power so i'm assuming that's what they're going for here you know it, it's, there it's actually i i did some looking too and it's pretty close to the japanese symbol for strength okay well that Which, might be that might be it as well maybe but it's chinese for strength let me let me look at that real quick yeah i when i when i did a google search uh when okay, i was making they're, notes they're kind of they're kind of similar yeah they're they're both there was a little difference between the uh sort of arc on the or little pointy part at the left hand side of it yeah but it's it's pretty much the same and i think you know it's close enough to maybe they just used a different font yeah it's yeah it's it's in new times roman rather than (laughs) ariel but yeah this was this was a great cliffhanger ending and uh a, a really good book yeah what do you other than the symbol, what do you think of the new look for Power Girl? Um, it's interesting. I think it's taking a little design element with the sort of uh, dots on her uh, on her sleeves and on her shoulders that uh, kind of mimic the sort of circles that Superman has on his uniform. Uh, 
the the girdle <laughs> kind of odd but whatever mm-hmm. you know it's uh, it, it's it's far more subdued than the uh the original power girl uniform because that one felt like it was you know i think i commented on in the power girl episode that, that kind of felt like a like a race car driver uniform with all the different yeah. symbols and all this this is much more slim down or scaled down so i like it yeah I, I liked it because the the other one was very commercial and and popish and manga slash anime inspired where this one's more militaristic and if she's acting as basically the muscle for superman where before she was created to be a public superhero then this outfit makes complete sense oh yes definitely uh, but it remains to be seen i guess you know exactly what role she's playing here or what role she's going to play but wow does this bring up a lot of questions and get me really excited for the next uh next batch of issues oh yeah exactly the it's obviously meant there, meant to be a cliffhanger but it's a spectacular one it it makes you want to pick up the next issue and if i was reading this on a monthly basis i would be like just chomping at the bit for the next month to come around yeah Unfortunately, though, we're going to have to wait on that, but we do have the backup story, which is History Lesson, Chapter 4, and the uh, credits on that are Ron Mars, writer, Fernando Passara in pencils, Matt Banning, inks, Dom Reagan, colors, Steve Wan's letters, and Nachi Castro, editor. Um, As they exit the limo, Jennifer tells Guy to continue talking about the Superman. Guy tells how... After the rise of the ultra-humanite, the Superman battled the elemental creation on the moon, finally using his mental energies to tear the creature apart. Guy then recounts the complete story of the daring exploits of the one and only Superman, up to and including offering his fiancée Lola the Miraclo pill. Lola did take the pill, but she didn't survive the evolution process, and the grief of losing his love caused Dent to change more than he ever had before. He soon appeared in front of the United Nations building and announced that he'd be running things for the people's own good. And as Jennifer triggers a remote, opening a huge metal door, taking them deeper into the underground bunker, Guy wonders who could have built such a complex before noticing a glowing green Nightwing symbol on the wall. Now, we kind of had to expect that Jenny might have some sort of connection to one of the covert underground operations and it's nice at the end we get the reveal that she's working for nightwing and that nightwing's still around is is she working for nightwing or did they just take up one of the nightwing is this a different group that has taken up one of the nightwing bases that's that's true that could be it could be a whole new uh different organization that's just taken over one of their bases i didn't even take that into account uh this is nice it fills in a little bit more about uh what happened with Superman and the Ultra Humanite, how he defeated it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for all the uh, people who were upset about Man of Steel and all the destruction that happened in that, this Superman took the fight with the Ultra Humanite onto the moon. Yes. So so no collateral damage there. Well, unless – well, no, now that I think about it, didn't they say that they had uh, – that Ferris aircraft created moon bases up there? So they could have destroyed one of the moon bases. Yeah, we even saw them earlier in this issue. So there you go. They have a – for some reason, they show us outer space, and you see the different structures on the moon. Yeah. Um, but but less casualties and destruction than 
had yeah. they done it in downtown New York. So yes, exactly. But uh, am I remembering wrong, or wasn't Lola White in the original Superman issue? I'm trying to remember. I or was think it just a coloring thing. I thought that they were both. I thought they were both black or African American. I could be wrong, but I know that Tom Kalmaku was white, or, or pie face. It wasn't uh, <laughs> pie face. No, they did. They did call him pie face. Yeah, I know they called him pie face, oh, okay. which is what I hated. Okay, you know, because you know he he had no. First of all, because the name is stupid and right. somewhat racist. But second of all, eh, it had it's no a lot re- racist. But. Well. Yeah, but second of all, it really had no relationship to to the idea why right. Hal called Tom Pieface in the first place, right. being a sort of slur against you know Inuits or Eskimos or whoever you'd like to you know classify them as. But but here we get also the fact that the the Miracolo pill that Superman gave Lola that was supposed to uh, bring her up to the level of power that he was backfired. And that kind of leads a, a drastic turn to how the ending of the Superman book came out. Because at the end of that, you know, Lola was talking to, talking to Harvey saying, are you doing this because you love me or are you doing this because you want to solve a problem? Right. And it, 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 it shades in his character and kind of gives you an idea of what motivated him to possibly make this turn. You know, the love of his life died from his own hands and maybe that's why he's decided to go this route and try and bring the world to peace under his own power. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the the, uh, the crisis homage on page four with her with him holding Lola's oh, body. Oh, yes, that yeah. I didn't even I didn't even catch that. That is a very what is that issue seven where he's holding Supergirl's yeah. body? Yes. So yeah, I do like in the panel uh, right underneath that the third panel in there. Obviously, the person who's comforting Superman there looks very much like Power Girl See, in I the was, shadow. I was going to ask: Is that supposed to be Power Girl, or is it like a symbolic representation of of Lola weighing on his mind? Hmm. It, you know, because it, it, if it once, is Power Girl, I don't know why they wouldn't show her in. You know why? Why black her out? I don't know. You know, I think that's. I think that's great that we can either either take it from either way. You know, I saw, I saw it, and I saw the curve, and I saw the shorter hair, and I mm-hmm. thought Power Girl. But you saw it, and you thought it was a symbol. Uh, you know, the the symbol of the loss of his uh, wife Lola. Yeah. So I think it works either way, and that's uh, both a credit to Mars writing this, and well, probably more of a credit to Pissarin. For, for drawing it and kind of giving you the idea that it could be either or. So that's that's good work there. And we get the end that, yeah, that all of this is going on either with Nightwing or in a Nightwing facility. So Well, it probably is Nightwing, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, regardless, it's nice to see them back in the book. Yeah. But uh, do you have anything else to talk about this? Uh, nope, I think that pretty much covers it. Well, this, like I said, things, uh, you know, for this era of comics, I know there's a lot of people who were thinking DC was going in a direction that they weren't completely satisfied with. But so far, 
I have been nothing but satisfied with the cut mm-hmm. of these comics. So uh, again, I'm glad to be taking a look at them when we're going to be taking a look at the next one here in two weeks. It's going to be tangent Superman's reign. Number five, looking forward to that one. Yep. So we hope uh, you'll all come back with us here in two weeks until then make sure if you're interested in the show, uh, go to iTunes and review us, give us a five star view, hit us up on great Krypton and uh, leave uh, posting about on the posting of the show and write up uh, some information about that or write to us at tangent at great Krypton.com. We'll read your email in the next show, but until then, thanks for downloading and listening and we'll, we'll catch you next time. Bye everybody. just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review maybe even a five-star one. Every review helps more people find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about the books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your comments on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of two true freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at twotruefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. Special thanks to Bob Fisher for providing this episode's intro. Bob is host of the excellent Superman Forever Radio, which you can find at supermanforever.com and also makes occasional appearances on some of the many shows on the Two True Freaks Network. 